Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much. God, that you sent your son to stand in our place so that we could have a place with you in heaven for all of eternity. And so God, we are just grateful for that truth this morning and we wanna celebrate that truth as we clap and we sing and as we lift high your name, Jesus. And so God, I just pray over these next few moments that we have together as a family, God, as we open up your word, that you would open up your mouth and that you would speak so clearly and that you would inspire us this morning and that you would challenge us this morning to look more like you, Jesus, to live more like you, Jesus, and to have a heart for this place, for this house. And we pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you guys. You guys can grab a seat. Hey, can we just real quick celebrate and thank Patrick and the team for leading us in that amazing time of worship one more time? That was awesome. Hey, uh, the title of today's message, like Joey said, is Heart for the House. Turn to your neighbor and say, Heart for the House. All right, now this is what I need you to do. I need you to turn to your other neighbor, you know, the one that you just rejected. And I need you to tell to them, Sorry, you weren't my first choice. <laughs> yes, awesome. Well, uh, today's Heart for the House. Uh, by show of hands, how many people here in this room love to watch the television station HGTV? How many of you guys love watching HGTV? Yes, I will admit it. I love HGTV. Like, I, I love all the shows on there. I love uh, Love It or List It. I like Flip or Flop. I love Property Brothers. Um, I love especially... I especially love Fixer Upper. Any Fixer Upper fans in the house as well? Yes, love Fixer Upper. I love these shows because they get to take these different houses that don't necessarily look too nice and they turn them into something beautiful where people want to live and grow up and grow older. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was watching Fixer Upper with my wife, Leslie, and we're watching, and if you've never watched the show, it's about Chip and Joanna Gaines and how they take the worst house in the best neighborhood and make it into their client's dream home. It's amazing. And so we're watching this, and the, the home that they pick for their, their clients, though, isn't even a house, okay? It's not even in a neighborhood. Like, I'm watching, and this is what comes up what they pick for their client. This thing right here. Guys, this is not a home. Like, this is that shack that's, like, back, like, behind the house, like, through the woods, like, in that, like, prairie-looking grass field. It, like, this is an outhouse. This is not a house. It's, it's basically just a good excuse for firewood. And this is what they choose for their, for their clients to turn into their dream home. And so I'm watching this show, and in just 45 minutes, they take this shack and turn it into, <laughs> and turn it into this house right here. Like, that is beautiful. That's beautiful. Like, raise your hand if you would want that for your house. Like, you're like, yep, sign me up. If you're going to give that to me, I would love it. And uh, so they turn it into this home. We see in here a picture of the kitchen. Like, look at that beautiful kitchen. Chip makes this custom uh, concrete island for them. And then the next one, we've got their living room. There's um, some shiplap. we got some shiplap fans in the house. Any shiplap people in here? Yeah. Everyone loves some good shiplap. And, and so I started to think, like, why is it that, that people like me or, and maybe you, like, become so obsessed with watching these TV shows, become so obsessed with uh, watching people um, decorate and buy and sell their homes? Uh, I think it's because deep down, each and every one of us, like, we have this obsession with houses. We have this obsession with homes. Like, think about it for just a moment. If you're a homeowner in this, in this room, like, you spend more time in your house than anywhere else. Am I right? 
Like you are in your house a lot. You spend more money on your house than anything else as well. Like you make several trips to Lowe's or Home Depot to, to upgrade or update your home. You fill it with furniture and fixtures and people, babies and furry creatures. Like you spend a lot of money on your house. And, and what happens like when, when things get broken, what do you do? You roll up your sleeves and you, you fix it, right? Or you Pick out your, take out your phone and you call somebody that can. Why? Because we, we value our houses. We value homes. We are obsessed with houses. And I think one of the reasons why we're so obsessed with houses is because we know what happens in them. We know what happens in houses. Like, there's a reason why we don't just, like, live in our parents' basement um, forever, like, hashtag millennials. There's a reason why... <laughs> Why we seek out to find and own our own home. Why? Because we know that something special happens inside them. It's inside our houses where we buy or build big tables so that we can share these amazing meals and grow relationships. We, we spend money on our backyards so that we can do them up and make them look nice with a fire pit and a nice deck that we put comfy furniture on so that we can invite our friends and our neighbors over. We share laughs over games and over drinks. Like something special happens inside of a house. Something special happens inside a home we and we also when we think about our houses like we think about the future in mind am I right like we think about okay how is this house going to fit my family five years from now is this house going to be the place that my kids are going to want to grow older in and have fun in as they grow into teenagers and into adulthood like is this house going to be a place where my kids are going to want to invite you know their friends over for those sleepovers and those pillow fights that like destroy the house Like, is this house going to be a place not just for my family, but it's going to be a place for, like, my my kids' kids as well as they come into this house? You know, I was thinking about this obsession that we have with houses and when we think about what houses are for and what they're used for. And I was thinking about this, like, what if, what if we thought about the church the same way? Like, what if this is how we thought about this house, the church? Like, what if we had a heart for this house so much so that we said, hey, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to do whatever it takes to help build this house and make this house uh, bigger and better and a place where not just my kids, but my kids' kids are going to want to grow up and experience the love and the fun and the grace that is found in God. What if I said, hey, what if we said, hey, you know what? I don't care how much money. I don't care how much time. I'm going to invest my talents. I'm going to invest all of me into this house, more so than even my own house. I'm going to invest it into this house to see Jesus do big and amazing things in and through the people that fill these walls and beyond. See, I was thinking about this desire, this passion that we have for houses, that we, that we become so obsessed with them. And so here's cards on the table. I'm just going to tell you straight up from the top, this is what we're talking about this morning. This is my goal. My goal is for you to have a heart for this house for you to have a heart for the local church, specifically the local church gathered here at Stone Creek. That's what we want to do this morning. Have a heart for the house so much so that it compels you and inspires you to want to say yes to serving, to want to say yes to giving your gifts, to see Jesus' name elevated here and beyond. And so first off, why should we have a heart for the house? Like, why should we even care about the local church? Well, the reason is the most simple but yet most compelling reason is that Jesus does. Jesus has a heart for, the, for this house. Jesus has a heart for the local church so much so that he died for it. We see in Ephesians 5, this is what Paul writes. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the, y'all say this with me, church. 
and gave himself up for her. You know, fellas, you didn't know you were about to get some marriage advice this morning. Like that, that one right there, that's free of charge. Like love your wives as Jesus loved the church. But think about it with me. Think about it. Like there's nothing I wouldn't do for my wife, Leslie. I would jump in front of a bullet for her. I would get eaten by a shark for her. Like I would do anything for her. I would give her all the money that I could ever possibly make in the world if that would make her. Like I would do anything for my wife, any sacrifice, except for jump off a cliff because I'm afraid of heights. But, but anything else, I would do it for my wife. And this is what Christ has done for the church. He gave his all for the church. We should have a heart for the church because Jesus does. Did you know that Jesus was, was wrongfully betrayed? He was brutally beaten. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was whipped. He was nailed to a cross. And on that cross, he suffocated on his own blood. He died of a literal broken heart for you, for his church so that his church could have a relationship with God here on earth and in heaven for all of eternity. That's how much Jesus loves his church, that he'd give his all for it. Everything in Jesus' life was leading up to the moment where he would lay down his life on the cross for his church. And so we should love the church. We should have a heart for the church because Jesus does. Did you know that the local church is the hope of the world? The local church is the hope of the world. That more than anything else, that's what it is. See, sometimes we have this view of the church where we begin to like downplay its importance and its meaning and its significance in life. Like sometimes we think that just church was an afterthought of God's like, oh man, they messed up and I just got to kind of fix things and let me throw something together real quick. The church! Like, no, that's not what happened. The church was never an afterthought. The church was always part of God's eternal plan in Jesus to bring hope to the world so that people could experience relationship with God. That's what the church is for, so that people can meet Jesus. And the story of the church, it's amazing. It's the story of how a few of Jesus' followers... Starts out around 12 of his followers, then grows to about 120, and then to 3,000, and then a few millennia later, uh, it grows to this global phenomenon of a few billion people. Why? Because of the church. Because of young men and women that said, hey, I'm going to give my life to the local church because Jesus established his church as the means, as the outlet, as the way that people are gonna experience God. And see, we see stories in scripture of men and women that give their lives to the church. We see people like Paul, the apostle Paul, who actually started off, like just a little to let you know, like Paul hated the church at first. He hated Jesus' church. He wanted to destroy it, stop it at all costs. And then all of a sudden, bang, he encounters Jesus. Jesus changes his life so much so that now he gives his life to build the church. And it was because of what Jesus did for Paul that it didn't matter how many times he'd get thrown in prison. It didn't matter how many times he would be mocked. It didn't matter how many times he'd find himself shipwrecked, thrown off to the side, outcast. He gave his life. He literally gave his life to see Jesus' message of hope grow and expand through the local church. Peter. Another example, Peter, you may have heard of him. He starts off as just an ordinary fisherman who, de- who did and said some pretty dumb things. Like he, he, he was crazy. 
But still, Jesus chose Peter to be the one who he would build his church through. And so he uses Peter, and and it didn't matter to Peter that it would end up costing him his life as well. He was crucified upside down, gave his life so that he could see the church expand and grow. See, God didn't decide that he was going to get his message of hope out through enlisting governments or military He didn't say, hey, I'm going to start some programs to feed the needy, and that's how my message is going to get out there. He didn't enlist Fortune 500 companies. He didn't gather together a group of consultants and professional salespeople and say, let's go. Let's share this message. No, no, no. He put the message of hope in the hands of everyday, ordinary people. And it was through them investing in and serving in and giving their all to the local church that these Moments that they had with Jesus turned into movements, and these movements expanded, exploded into what we now know as the local church today. Pockets of people centered around the person of Jesus, worshiping him and lifting up his name and his name alone. That's what we see happen in the scripture. That's what we see happen with this movement of Jesus. And so if Jesus cares so much about the local church, then we should too. Like if he died for the local church, we should care so deeply about it. See, we should care for what Jesus died for. We should care for what Jesus died for. That's why we should have a heart for the church. And so why is it though? Why is it though that oftentimes we don't see the church as valuable? Like if we can just be honest, there's times in our lives where maybe we've just looked at the church and just thought, eh. Why have we not had this heart for the church that compels us to move and to change and to Give our all to it. I think it's because a lot of us, maybe we don't see it as valuable. We don't see it as worth our time. We don't see it as powerful. And I think maybe that's because we've forgotten what Jesus has done for us through the local church. Maybe we've, we've forgotten how Jesus has used the local church to change our lives. And so maybe we just need to be reminded of it. See, in Ephesians 2, Paul, he writes this, and he's writing this letter to this church in Ephesus, and he says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So check this out. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions, is that it's not about what you can do for God. It's about what God has done for you. It's about grace. And how do you receive this grace? Oh, you receive this grace by faith, through believing in Jesus. That's how we are called sons and daughters of God. That's how we experience this message of hope, by grace, through faith. And then he continues on, though, because there's more to this. He says, for we are his workmanship. He's created us in Christ Jesus, not to stay stagnant, not to sit still, for good works. We don't do good works to try to earn our salvation, to try to earn our standing with God. No, no, no. It's just a result of what God has done for us, that we would have good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So what we do flows out of what God has done for us. It should compel us to move and so then Paul continues on and he's like, hey, just, just in case you forgot, I need you to remember, remember your story. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember that you were at, one, that, you were at that time separated from Christ, hmm. alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Remember how you had no hope apart from Jesus and without God in the world. And then he says, but 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's saying if you, maybe you're not, you're wrestling with this idea of having a heart for the church. Maybe it's because you forgot what Jesus has done in and through you. See, for me, I definitely have not always had a heart for this house. I've never, I didn't always have a heart for the church. For me growing up, I actually didn't like the church at all. I hated Sundays. Like, I hated Sunday mornings. I hated having to wake up earlier than I thought that I should. I hated having to put on my church clothes, you know, like those church clothes where I had to wear the brown shoes with the khaki pants and the white dress shirt. And then the blue tie, like the old hand-me-down tie that my dad gave me and let me borrow. Like, I hated wearing church clothes. I hated them so much that I didn't want to ever uh, iron them. And so what I would do is I would wear my clothes to church. I'd come home and I'd put them immediately on the hanger. And I would just do that for like months at a time until my mom like noticed the smell and was like, Joe, we got to do something right now. This is a problem. Like, I did not like Sunday mornings. I hated, like, the, the fury and the frenzy of, every, of a family of six trying to get ready and dress their Sunday best and then get out the door as fast as possible and everyone's yelling at each other and I'm mad at my sister and my brother's beating my other brother up. Like, it was just crazy. And, like, no, like there was no part of me that was excited about Sunday mornings. I didn't like the, the church we went to. I didn't like the people there. I didn't like the pews. I didn't like the music that they sang. I didn't want any part of it. It gave me this poor view of God. I didn't think that God was fun. I thought that he was boring. I didn't think that he wanted to have a relationship with me. I didn't hear about relationships. I didn't hear about Jesus. And so it wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't for me. Until in seventh grade, as a seventh grade middle school boy, my mom falls in love with Jesus and she begins to take my brothers and my sister and I to different churches that were centered on Jesus that talked about the grace of God that took faith and made it fun and told stories that I could relate to. And they had leaders that cared about me and invested in me and prayed for me. They knew my name. And it was at these different churches that my view of God began to change and I began to see him for who he really was. And I didn't look at him as just being mad at me for the bad things that I've done, but I, looked at, he, I began to think of him as looking at me and saying, oh, you're mine. I want you. I made you. I created you. And so it was through the local church and through people in the local church, through leaders that gave their time to serve, that I fell in love with Jesus. And I wouldn't be up here today if it weren't for those leaders and if it weren't for the local church that invested in me and shared Jesus with me. See, that's part of my story, and I would imagine that that'd be part of some of your stories in this room as well. That something happened in your life that, that maybe you fell in love with Jesus through the local church, and maybe you just need to be reminded of that. Maybe from time to time you need to think, wait, God, this is what you've done for me? Oh, wow. Okay, because you've done this for me, here's all of me. Because you've transformed my heart, here's my hands. Use me. Use me to lead people and to reach people. Use me, God. I think if we would be reminded of that, <laughs> there would be no telling what God would do through us as we just come, with him, come to him with open hands. You know, I think one of the biggest problems facing the church today is that a lot of times we look at the church and we think about how the church can meet our needs rather than asking how the church needs us. I think it's really easy for us to get caught in complacency and thinking that we just need to come to the church to be entertained and, and we think of it as this entertainment center rather than a group of people that have been changed and, and maybe we just need to shift our mindset and be reminded that Jesus never called us to sit. He called us to serve. 
He calls us to not just be spectators that sit on the sidelines cheering for the church leaders and the pastors and the other volunteers that, that, that maybe are more confident than we are to, to do all of the work and to lead people and to reach people. No, 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 no. He calls us to serve. He invites us to not just be, to not be spectators, but to be servants that say, hey, I'm going to give my all. I'm going to give everything to see Jesus' kingdom advance, to see his house built bigger and bigger. And rather than us thinking of the church as, hey, I just need it to be entertained, so I need bigger buildings, and I need better programs for my kids, and, and I need, like, better music, like, Patrick Casey ain't enough, like, I just need something better. And, like, and, and we, we get in this mindset where we think that we just need better rather than thinking, hey, how can I make this church bigger? How can I make this church bolder? How can I make this church, this house better? How can I serve? See, sometimes we get into this expectation thinking that we just need to sit on the sidelines and observe rather than contribute to what God wants to do in us and through us. It's like I don't know if you've been watching the NBA playoffs or finals. Uh, it's a lot like how I think about Drake, who's on the sidelines cheering for the Toronto Raptors every single night. And, and a lot of the cameras want to just want to zoom in on Drake and see what he's doing, where you have Kawhi Leonard, one of the best players in the NBA, who night after night is lacing up his sneakers, and he's giving his sweat and his tears for 45 minutes, and then all the way down to the buzzer, he's giving his all to hit the game-winning shot to send his team to the next round. There's a difference between sitting on the sideline and saying, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to serve and I'm going to get into the game. And I'm going to not just be a fan, I'm going to be a follower. And I'm going to say, yes, Jesus, hey, whatever you need, Jesus, I'm all in, I'm all yours. Just use me. I want to be used by you, Jesus. That's what he invites us into. He never called us to merely observe, expecting to be entertained. He charged us to serve, expecting to be changed. And that's what serving does. Serving changes us. Like when you say yes to serve, God grows you. He changes you. He changes you into more of someone that looks like Jesus and someone that does more for his kingdom than ever expected before. There's a few things that serving does for you. And the first one is this. Serving makes your faith grow. Serving makes your faith grow. It directly increases your faith. See, amen, amen. See, when you make a decision to say yes to serving, God begins to stir something in you where your faith grows and it expands. There's this story in John chapter two and it tells the story of Jesus' first ever miracle performed. It's the story of the wedding of Cana and uh, it's the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but this is what happens. There's a wedding going on and the music is bumping. And people are having fun and they are dancing. And the wedding is amazing where all of a sudden comes to a screeching halt. The party stops. Why? Because they ran out of wine. Party was done though. Party was over. And, and I'm not sure whether it was the fact that like there was terrible like party planning committee or the fact that there was like some heavy pours that were, you know, uh, pouring a little too much. But whatever happened, all of a sudden this wedding turns into a dry wedding. And you know what a dry wedding is? It's like just a little short of a funeral, like, come on, like, we need, like, it's, we need to keep the party going, and so the servers, they come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, what do we do, can you help us out, and Jesus is like, okay, this is what I need you to do, I need you to take these big water jars, these big basins, fill them full of water, I'd be thinking, Jesus, you're crazy, what are you going to do, what's about to happen, he says, fill them full of water, and then take this water to the groom, 
take the water to the groom and watch what happens. And so they do that and they bring this water to the groom and instantly the water becomes wine and they serve it to the groom and then the party continues on. And other than Mary, Jesus' mother, the servers were the only ones that got to experience Jesus' miracle firsthand. Think about that for a second. Like the people at the wedding party, all of a sudden the party just continues, but they don't know what happened. They didn't get to see Jesus perform this miracle. They benefited from the miracle, but they didn't get to see it, experience it firsthand. But the servers did. And imagine in their minds and their view of God and who Jesus was in that moment must have exploded. Things must have started to click. And they're like, oh my goodness, I believe. Oh, I believe. Serving grows and expands your faith. See, you may be here and you may be wondering and thinking like, and that you've gone through seasons in your life where maybe your faith has felt stagnant. Maybe where it, just like that party, has began to stall and slow down. Maybe you've been through seasons where you thought, I just don't know if I have enough faith, God. Well, let me ask you this. Well, in those times, like, have you been serving? Because I firmly believe that it's as we say yes to serving and as we serve in the local church that we get to see Jesus perform miracles on the regular. We get to see Jesus transform people's lives. People that were struggling with addiction are now finding freedom. We get to see Jesus restore marriages and that explodes and grows our faith more than we could ever realize or expect. That's what happens when you say yes to Jesus and serving in the church. As he expands, he grows your faith. Serving also makes your purpose clear. Serving makes your purpose clear. 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to, y'all say this with me, serve. To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, God has given each and every one of you. He's given you. He's given you. He's given you a unique gift. A unique gift that is meant to be used to help build his house, to advance his kingdom, to push the message of the hope of Jesus forward. He's strategically placed you where you are for a purpose so that you would be a part of building and advancing his kingdom. He's given you unique gifts. Have you ever thought about this? Like how many people does it take to build a house? Like how many different hands got to be a part of what's happening? I know like some people out there, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I don't need nobody. But think about it though. Like when Leslie and I were building a, a house, like there were so many different people that came by. There was electricians. There were the, the contractors. There was um, the people that just wanted all of our money to. There were the people that came and cleaned. There were the painters, the drywall people. There are so many different people that it takes to build a house. There are so many different gifts in this room and so many different gifts that can be used to advance this movement to advance Jesus's name further than we'd ever expect or imagine. You may be here and you may be thinking, but yeah, Joe, like, I don't know if my gift like actually matters. I don't know if it's like big enough. I don't know if my gift can actually like move the needle forward at all. Like, I don't know about that. And maybe you've bought into this lie, believing that your gift is too small and you're, you can't wrap your mind around like, how could my gift change the world? That seems so big and so far out there. It doesn't make sense to me. 
But let me tell you this, like your gift may not be able to change the world in your mind, but you know what it can do? It can change somebody's world. And you saying yes to Jesus and saying yes to serve within his church can be the difference for somebody that's got questions about who God is. And it may seem small at that moment, but God's going to use you and he's going to unleash in you this purpose and this calling that you were created and wired for. See, for me, when I was a freshman in college, I uh, started to serve as a small group leader with a group of high school guys, and we were leading these freshman guys, and I was wrestling with those, those same questions, like, God, like, what am I even doing? Like, have you even given me a gift for this? I don't even know. Like, these guys are just crazy. I don't know if what I'm saying, they're even listening, and they just aren't, they just, what am I doing? And I began to wrestle with that and pray and ask God to open up doors for me to lead them and to love them, and I was like, God, like, just give me something. And one night at one of our first retreats that we had together, this guy, Sam Garland, came up to me and he's like, hey, Joe, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And I was able to, in that moment, to pray with him and to lead him into this relationship with Jesus for the first time. And that moment stirred something in me where I was like, this is what I'm wired for. This is my calling. Oh, my goodness. God, you're going to use me to do this. All right, sign me up. I'm all in. Let's go. It changed my life. That's what serving can do. Serving also moves you from fan to family. From fan to family. It invites you into, it brings you into, draws you into authentic community with other people. Think about it. I'm sure the people in this room that serve could tell you that the people that they serve alongside are some of their best friends, are the people that they've done life with, are the people that they've grown in relationship with. Why? Because when you serve, you're going through the highs, and you're going through the lows together as well. You're experiencing the same frustrations, but you're also experiencing the same joys. It changes something. It builds relationship around you. And now you've got these brothers and sisters for life. Kirk Robertson, he was my co-small group leader for uh, that group of guys that we led. And uh, we live 500 miles apart right now. And that was a while back when we served together, but in two months, I'm going to be standing next to him at his wedding as one of his groomsmen as he gets married. They, when you serve, it builds lifelong friendships and relationships because there's something about serving the church together. God grows something in you, moves you from being a fan to being part of the family. Serving also makes you more like Jesus. I'm just telling you all the things that serving's doing for you. I'm, I'm giving you just a short little snippet, but these are important. Serving makes you more like Jesus. It's true. Maybe you're here and you've got just questions about what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. And maybe you're at a place in your life where you've been like, I don't even know if I'm following Jesus. Well, one of the simplest and most crucial ways to follow Jesus is just to do what he did. Say, what did Jesus do? All right, I'm going to do that. And in Matthew 20, Jesus says this. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus came to do. And if that's what Jesus came to do, then that's what I'm going to do because I want to look more like Jesus. I want to live more like Jesus. I am going to say yes to serve. I'm going to get in the game. I'm going to get off the bench and I'm going to say, all right, so put me in, coach. Like, where do you need me? I'm all in. That's what serving does. It transfers what breaks your heart to what moves your hands. And see, ultimately, when we say yes to serving, God begins to build something in us. When we say, hey, God, I want to be about building your house, God begins to build our house. And he begins to grow us into the, more into the men and women that he's created us to be. And so this is why you should serve. It's because this is what you've been created for. 
You've been created to serve. You've been created on purpose, for a purpose, with purpose. And God wants to use you to grow and to advance his kingdom, to make his name more famous. It's bigger than your, your jobs, your careers, your bank accounts, your sports, your convenience. It's bigger than your, your just own like, comfort that you can have. He's purposely positioned you here with purpose. And he wants to use you. He wants to grow you. And he wants to use you to impact other people's lives. This is who we are. We're saved people. And saved people, what do we do? We serve people. Save people, serve people, because Jesus has transformed our lives. We're going to be a part of bringing that transformation to others. Did you know that people who visit church for the first time uh, decide within the first 10 minutes whether or not they're going to give that church another try? Within the first 10 minutes, that's before the service even starts, just so you know. Before the service starts, before they even walk into this room, they've already made up in their mind whether or not they're going to give this church another try and potentially whether or not they're going to give God another try. And so when you say yes to serve on our connect team, out in the parking lot, parking cars, waving your hands like you just don't care, over here, over here, over here, and you are smiling at people as they come into our campus, when you're out there on the sidewalk with that sign, or you're giving people high fives, random strangers that you don't even know, and just smiling at them, welcoming them, you are a part, being the difference for that one person that may be thinking, hey, I don't know if I'm going to come back here. You can be the difference. You can be the person standing in the gap. And the reason that they don't just give this church another try, but they give God another try. That could be you. Did you know that 95% of people choose, where they're, like, choose whether or not this is going to be their church home based on whether or not the church serves good coffee? 95%. I'm just kidding, guys. That's not true. But, but, but you could be that person. That when you serve that young man or young woman that cup of coffee with a smile and welcoming conversation, you could be the person to bring down that wall because maybe it's for them that the only times in their life where they've had real meaningful conversation, where they could be vulnerable with people, where they felt comfortable was while they were holding a cup of coffee. And as you give them that cup of coffee, they feel at home. They feel like they have a place to belong. And they want to come back and give God another shot, give this church another try. My son, Hudson Bo Baker, uh, he's eight months old. And uh, my wife, Leslie, cannot wait for the moment every Sunday morning where she gets to check him into the baby's hallway. She cannot wait for the moment where she's like, an hour free from his craziness. Let's go. She's so excited. But it's not just like the hour away from him. It's the fact that we are so confident that while he's down that baby's hallway, he's being loved, he's being cared for, he is safe and secure, but more than all of those things, we know that he's being held by women like Jessica Sneed and Nancy Anderson and Peggy Easton and Christy Melrose and many other women who are down that hallway week after week holding and praying for your children. You may think, I don't know if I have a gift to give. Can you pray? Can you talk to God? Like, can you talk to God in a way that like, like Jesus, I just pray this baby would, would come to meet you. Like, you can do that. You can do that. And it can be so powerful and so meaningful. We are so grateful knowing that that's what's happening right now. In this very moment, he's being prayed over. 
for an hour every single Sunday morning. There's this speaker and author and leader, Josh Shipp, and he makes this statement in regards to uh, why we should be so passionate about reaching the next generation. And he makes a statement. He says, every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Every kid. He tells this story about how when he was a teenager and he was getting into a lot of trouble and everyone was giving up on him and, and throwing in the towel and trying to invest in him. And there was one man that rather than looking at Josh as a problem, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm seeing you as an opportunity of, a, of what kind of man you could be. And so he chooses to invest in him and love on him. See, in a day and age where 3.2 million kids struggle with being bullied on a daily basis, in a day and age where, children, or where kids are exposed to pornography at age 11, in a day and age where, where we see over 1.2 million kids that drop out of school, never finish, when we see the rise of, of drugs and alcohol and vaping and all of these other different things, when we see the rise of anxiety and depression due to these pressures to succeed and do better and be better and rise to these expectations, when we see this rise of suicide today, every kid is one decision away from becoming another statistic. But every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Harvard even did a study on this, and in their study with their uh, Center on Developing Child, they released uh, their research, and they concluded this, that every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. They even discovered it. The difference can be you. It can be you. There's a 10-year-old boy sitting in our first through fifth grade room right now, that's got questions about God. That doesn't understand where his faith kind of fits into his worldview. Confused about why he's constantly bullied by that fifth grader. Confused why he always feels like every mistake that he makes, he just feels more shame and more guilt. He's got questions and he doesn't know what to do or who to talk to. And you could be that man. You could be that man to stand in the gap for him, to get down on your knees and begin a conversation with him about who God is and about it doesn't matter how many mistakes he's made, that there is hope in Jesus and that he doesn't look at him and look, God doesn't look down on him and think, oh my gosh, what will I ever do with this kid? But he th looks down at him and says, you are loved and I care for you. You could be the difference. There's a seventh grade girl who's wrestling with her identity doesn't know who she is or where does she fit in in life. There's an 11th grade girl who's struggling with believing lies that she hears from the people around her. Believing these lies that say she's not pretty enough, not smart enough, that she's never going to be as loved as the people that she sees on social media where she's constantly comparing her worst with everybody else's best and she's so confused and so lost and all she needs is someone just to tell her about how loved she is and you could be that woman. You could be that woman to stand in the gap for her and say, hey, listen, even when you hear all around you, time and time again, that you're not enough. I need you to know this. You are more than enough. Jesus says you are more than enough because you were worth his life. And he cares so deeply for you. That could be you. You could be the difference. 
There are skeptics that are coming onto our campus and about to walk through these doors and you could be that man or woman that's holding the door open for them and making them feel like they belong for the first time, making them feel like, oh my goodness, wait, I thought church just wanted to judge me. I thought church, like they had this skewed view of church. You could be the difference for them to see God in a new way. There are marriages that need to be restored relationships that need to come back together, be reconciled, and you could be that couple to say, hey, you know what? Sign me up. I'll join the care team. I want to be a part of praying for and pouring into families and marriages that are on the brink of collapse. That could be you. There are, there are kindergartners who who need to hear about this fun God that wants to be their friend and you getting on your knees and playing with them and loving on them Sunday after Sunday, that could be the Sunday, that could be the difference for them. You can be the difference. Maybe you're like, I don't know where I fit in any of those things. Like, I'm just a builder. I'm a, I'm, I work construction. I'm a contractor. Like, what can I bring to the church? Cool, well, you see, we got a building here and you could help us make our environments more ballin' than ever before. You could help us create sets and and design spaces. Maybe you're an engineer. Did you know we have 50 50 plus acres here on our property? You could help us plan out on how we can better reach the next generation with the property we have here. Maybe you're a real estate agent. Did you know that we're planning a campus down in Sandy Springs? And you could be a part of helping our people and the teams that are going down there to find homes and to find a place. And you could be a part of, of that launch team. Did you know that we are planning a campus in Sandy Springs and therefore we're going to need to send people there. And we're going to need to send people that want to serve there. And so we need more people to serve here so that we can send there and to the next church and beyond and beyond. We need to multiply and we need to say yes to serving because God wants to do more in us and he wants to do more through us than we could imagine or believe. And so will you say yes? Will you say yes to serve? Paul, he writes in Ephesians 2, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's kind of wrapping up this, where we've been this morning. And, and he writes to them, and he says these words. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. He's saying the Gentiles, the people that weren't part of the nation of Israel, he's like, hey, it's okay. You are in now. You are part of my family. And then this is what happens. He says, together we are his house. We are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. People like, people like Peter and James and John and Paul. And the cornerstone, though, is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Listen. We, here at Stone Creek, we are a Jesus church. Jesus is our rock. He's our foundation. He is our cornerstone. Everything that we do here is about Jesus. We exist to elevate Jesus's name, one name above every other name that we elevate in our lives, above every other name that we worship, that we lift high. We are about Jesus. We've made it plain and clear. We've made it simple and basic. Nothing more, nothing less. We're about Jesus. And if this is what we see the church is supposed to be about in scripture, then why wouldn't we want to be about this here and now? We are a Jesus church. And so we're asking you, hey, will you be a part of this Jesus church and say yes to lifting high his name? 
not just here and now, but for future generations and future families so that they can experience him as well. And so that's what happens when you say yes to serve. You say, hey, you know what? I'm bought into that. I'll, I'll, I'll get a part of that. I want to be a part of lifting high Jesus' name. Sign me up for that. What else would you ever want to be a part of? What other mission would you ever want to be a part of? And so that's the challenge for each and every one of us, for you here this morning, is that you would say yes to build this house. That you would say yes to being a part of what God is doing here. To invest in families. To welcome people in. To lead even when you feel like you don't know how, but you say, hey God, here are my hands. Use me. God has so much that he wants to do in you and that he wants to do through you. And did you know that your yes to serve will lead to someone else's yes to Jesus? Did you know that? Maybe it's for the yes to Jesus for the first time for that child that you get to lead to the Lord or that adult that had been wrestling his whole life and you get to lead to Jesus. Maybe it's a yes to Jesus day after day where you choosing to uh, lead a small group and encourage families to actually spend time talking with God and praying and praying with God and reading his word throughout the day leads to their yes to talk with God, to spend time with him throughout the day. Maybe your yes to Jesus leads to a student's yes to open up their Bible in the morning and say, all right, today, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm sur surrendering my life, my all to make you famous. Your yes will lead to someone else's yes to Jesus. Maybe it's that 28-year-old that's been burned by church that doesn't see the value in it, that doesn't see their need for Jesus because they got everything else they could ever want or need. Your yes, your yes could lead to theirs. And their decision to give God another try, to maybe give him a try for the first time. So we're asking you this morning to say yes. And I know it maybe seems like a big ask because like saying yes to serving, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. It cost Jesus his life, the local church. And so it's going to cost us something. We're going to have to make sacrifices. It's going to cost some time. Maybe you're thinking like, I don't know where, if I have time for this. I don't know where I fit in with this. No, it's going to cost you some convenience as well. It's going to cost you when teenagers are texting you at one in the morning. But that text could lead to a graduation party invite later on and then a wedding celebration years later. You get to be a part of investing in and serving people and leading them to Jesus. And so we have these cards on your, on your chairs when you came in. Hopefully you saw this recognized it before you sat down on it. This card is your way of saying yes this morning to say, yes, hey, I wanna be a part of building this house. And so all you have to do is fill this out and maybe you check one or two or all of the different boxes on here. And maybe you're like, Joe, I just don't know where I fit in. We left a blank slot for you to write in your gift because we believe each and every one of you have been uniquely gifted and strategically placed to help build this church. And even when it seems like maybe you don't have the right gift at the right time, I believe, we believe that God wants to use you to do something amazing here at this church, at this house, that's gonna impact future generations, future families, your neighbor's families, and your kids' families, generations to come. So will you say yes to serving today? Will you say yes to being a part of this house? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful for you and I'm so grateful, God, for how you love us and for God, for how you have welcomed us into your house. 
God, for how you have placed each of us here to be a part of this movement of lifting high your name and of seeing lives changed and of seeing marriages restored and of seeing kids saying yes to you and be baptized and of welcoming our community in through these through these doors. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing here at Stone Creek. And I pray this morning that you would challenge and inspire each of us, that your Holy Spirit would be knocking on the, the, heart, the doors of people's hearts right here and now saying, it's time to serve. And so God, I pray that you would uh, just challenge each of, this, each of us this morning that knows not, an, knows not an option, knows not the right answer. God, that you would challenge each of us to say yes to serving, to see your name lifted high here and beyond. And so Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this time. And we pray all of this in your powerful name. Amen.